The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. get it going right here right now this is the triple threat podcast being brought to you today and powered on vince russo's the brand of as part of the realm network if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always usually we're joined here by my tag team partner the one and only jp john Paz, but jp on assignment so taking care of some two-man power trip of wrestling business mm. <laughs> but that doesn't stop us as I welcome in the man himself, the former ECW world champion. And if you were following Twitter the other day, the man that started the revolution, the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome in here to episode number 97. Man, it's getting almost as old as we are, right? It's getting close. Uh, that big number 100 right around the corner. I'm trying to think of like how I'm going to do my hair, maybe purple or like a Green stripe right down the middle. What do you think for number 100? <laughs> 100 would be great. I'm thinking maybe you can go back to the mullet from the uh, <laughs> from the dynamic yeah. dude days. You know, get some tie-dye, a, a skateboard, you know, the mullets. I mean, you guys wore a lot of neon colors. So Hell maybe yeah. maybe we can go back to the neon. All the cool get... shit. Mullets, skateboards, uh, neon colors. Can't go wrong with that, brother. <laughs> I hear it's the choice of a new generation. That's uh, from what <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so we're here for episode number 97. Uh, this is our second video episode. Um, all I got to say is the listeners of the, the brand, uh, Mr. Russo himself, please thank us for this because this has been a friggin' nightmare <laughs> getting this thing put together. But again, we uh, we shall overcome. We are back here for another video episode and Shane, man, coming off a great response to the first one. We had a great uh, first video episode with the three of us. You know, I can't say, you know, we had a couple hiccups, but I can't say it was a, a, anything bad. It was very well done, and I think it was very well received, and I was very happy with the finished product. Yeah, look, I, I've gotten a lot of uh, messages both on Twitter and my texts and emails. Uh, as busy, I've been working on something else, a little side project, uh, it's been sucking an incredible amount of time, but yeah, I've been getting, in fact, I went to the grocery store yesterday and had, uh, somebody, a, a fan come up and say that they had seen it and were impressed with it. And, uh, so good things. And then we also should tell the fans, we've also taken another step without revealing too much, but we, uh, may be having some, we had a great, uh, phone conference earlier this week, uh, and hopefully some, some, uh, bigger news coming behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Some uh, some people may be getting involved with the uh, the podcast, which will be uh, very beneficial to the listeners. And hopefully uh, you stay tuned and uh, some of that marketing will be uh, coming your way instead of the subliminal marketing. I'll just kind of do one of these. <laughs> that's what we call subliminal hold on, hold marketing. Do, do that one more time. I mean, that's, good. that's a good visual. There we go. Do a finger with it, yeah. Look at that. Now, one more time, I'll make it look like yeah, yeah, right here, right yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> the classic, classic, classic franchise logo T-shirt. 
We talk about it at the end of the show. Well, guess what? I get this is subliminal advertising. I'm going to be wearing it this week. I'm probably going to wear it every week. You know, it's funny. You know, starting to do the shows with you when we're at, you know, different conventions and this and that. You know, I've amassed quite the Shane Douglas wardrobe. <laughs> so I kind of fall into kind of like how you do, I'm sure, when you go to the ring. I got my choices here that I can kind of throw on on a daily basis. You got gold and black. Yes. You got black and gold. Yes. You got black and black. Yes. Once in a while, some golden gold. Yes. Beyond that, polka dots, stripes, purples, fuchsias, chartreuses. I'm not so sure about all those. <laughs> Again, go back to the dynamic dude days. Some of that. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, hey, you know what I actually have too? And this is available on the Pro Wrestling Tees slash franchise uh, store. The, the, <laughs> the very coveted Dean Douglas t-shirt, which I know you weren't that happy about, but still it's out there. It's out there. People want to wear it. I would love to see an accounting of that page to see how many of those they've sold. (laughs) Probably probably about as many as Vince did. (laughs) Hey, he never gave it a chance. If he marketed those baby blue t-shirts, you never know. You could have a lot of kids getting beat up, uh, you know, in the schoolyard, getting their underwear pulled over their head. There's nothing that strikes fear in the hearts of baby faces more than a powder puff blue singlet. That's uh, a sure heat getter, Vince. See, I think of you, I think of Dean Douglas, but I also think of Rick Martell. Rick Martell had the powder blue tights, but he was a heel too, so I don't know what he's trying to, uh, what he's accomplishing with that. Louis Spicoli. Oh, body, yeah, yeah. The body yep. Donnas, yep. It was like, I think he must have had like, it must have like a fire sale or something in like the New York, Connecticut area on powder puff blue material and figured they would, they would, Vince figured he could change the market. And boy, did he. It's <laughs> that genius at work. You know, the black and gold, I mean, no matter where you go, people obviously know it's synonymous with, uh, with Pittsburgh. So uh, yeah. for somebody like me who wears blue and orange everywhere that I go, it's kind of a clash. But we make, <laughs> we make it work. That, that's the way it goes. That's right. It's uh, but looking at this, you know, as I always say in the ring, and and mean it about a hundred percent shoot, maybe ninety nine point seven. Uh, but every, like when I was living in, in Florida uh, back in the early two thousands, uh, there was uh, when we went to the Super Bowl. I think it was what two thousand six. Uh, the Super Bowl against uh, was that Seattle? I think might have been. And, uh, you know, so my brother-in-law was down and we went to a local sports bar and this is in Sarasota, Florida, mind you. And we walk in there, t- they, you know, big sign outside, 50 televisions, blah, blah, blah. We walk in and, we, you know, as soon as you walk in, there's a little ante room, like off to the side where they had like four or five TVs that were tuned around the different other playoff games and 45 of the TVs around the sports bar in Sarasota, Florida, we're tuned to the Pittsburgh Steelers game. So wow. it's uh epidemic everywhere you go around the world. Pits- people love Pittsburgh. Hey, it's an epidemic, but so is the measles. So you know what you <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the flu of 18, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, hey, look, we're coming off a big Father's Day weekend. It yes. was uh it was a great weekend. The weather was beautiful here in Virginia, I'm sure in Pittsburgh probably wasn't that much different. Um but you know what? There was something I wanted to point out to you, and I know you were able to jump on tonight before we were recording this, which we're recording on Thursday. And uh, I threw up a tweet that I had sent you in a text message with John. And it was just simply, it was a picture that I had you sign for us last uh, September. And it's from the uh, the NWA title tournament, just as you're about to look up to the heavens and, and speak to your father right in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And Shane, all I did was just tweet the picture and just kind of leave it. And the responses started to come in and people were starting to react to it. But just, you know, your usual retweets, your likes, your this, your that, whatever. But then slowly but surely, people started to pick up the the whole speech. And one tweet was the next part of the speech after what I had posted. And then the (laughs) one after that was the next part. And then the one after that was the next part. So I just thought that was really cool on Father's Day with how much that promo means to not only your career, but obviously the connection with your father Sure. I just thought that was so cool. That was uh, that, that's why you know you gotta love wrestling fans. They're so passionate. They're so knowledgeable, and to pick up on that, can't deny it. Well, you know, incredible because you know we had, like in, in the call that we had, the teleconference call we had earlier this week. That was one of the things that that had gotten asked, uh, and uh, you know, talking talking about my dad and 
uh, you know, by the way, had, you know, just a really incredibly cool Father's Day with uh, with my boys and I hope everybody else did as well. It was just an incredible day, um, you know, to see like what my oldest son, the card that he had given me had. It said things I mean, that really brought a tear to my eye, you know, that stuff that you, you don't think an 18 year old or anybody else is thinking. And but pretty much the way I felt growing up once I became a man and understood about my dad. And so, you know, those things that you may not think are being handed down or being picked up by the kids, they, they certainly are. And, you know, like for me and my dad, you know, without beating that dead horse of, of uh, you know, what it meant to me. Uh, when I say, here we go, dad, that wasn't a pre-planned line that what we have, everybody knows that, that follows my career. I, I never wrote scripts or I'd see people in the back that have papers and they're walking around or, or later, uh, you know, everybody walk around with the script that the company gave them. Uh, I, I just had a general idea of what I wanted to talk about. And at the moment I said that, when you watch that video playback, this, uh, as I'm walking towards the camera, I said, here we go, dad. Uh, my dad had died a little more than a year before that. And it was like, for the first time in my life, it congealed like what my dad was teaching me growing up and the little sayings and phrases and, and teachings that he would give. Uh, you know, so then to see, like you said, with the fans uh, picking up on that and being able to, what, 25 years later, uh, write it out like that in, in, in thread fashion. It is incredible to me. And it gets back to the game when we were talking about the call uh, with the uh, uh, earlier this week with the, with the uh, podcast and potential people coming on was the connection. And I brought it up immediately to them was the, the amazing connection that wrestling fans have with the product, with their heroes and, and people that they love to boo. Uh, it's, it's been easy for me because of the length of my time in the, in the business but to look and back and see that anybody remembers verbatim some promo from 25 years ago astounds me. And it's really a testament to wrestling fans and, and to the industry that it has that kind of connection to the fans and the fans to the industry. So we're, we're certainly blessed to have been in this business. It's so cool. Again, yeah, just for them to take it and run with it and just one tweet after the next tweet. Yeah. And, you know, I get to hear it every week as I'm putting the show together. So the the introduction song or, you know, the little quotes that I run at the beginning yeah. go parallel with the, with parts of the speech I borrow from, you know, the beginning and the end of it, basically. But one thing that you had mentioned I never really noticed until we talked about this in great length, uh, which we did, you know, in our first couple of months, we did a two and a half hour podcast talking about yeah. The entire night, the the whole tournament, the vibe of the you know the ECW arena, everything, how hot it was. We covered it literally yeah. from top to bottom. We, we basically we found out what kind of deodorant you had on that day. <laughs> that, that's how that's how in depth we went. But the thing that I really, really like, never noticed, but then after you said it, I did, is how when you go through the names, you said the fans were shouting out who you, yeah. they were going, and I never noticed it until you said it. And as I listened back this past week to the intro yeah. clip, you hear briefly, you hear somebody go Harley. And then you go from the yeah. Harley races. And I just yeah. think that's the coolest yeah. thing. Well, it is. It, it's, <laughs> you know, I wish I could say I went out there and memorized all those names. I, I tried, you know, I know them off, you know, if you and I were sitting in the back talking, I could have certainly gone through those names, but at the end of that night and being in that hot building and having those three tough matches, you know, I just started going blank and I was so blown up and, and just melting. And I was so, and I hate to use the word because it sounds so contrived, but just so organically as if on cue, you know, started throwing those names out, the exact names that I was going to say anyway. Uh, just when I watch it, I, you know, I take a lot of pride in it, but, you know, the fans were a big, big part of that uh, promo as well. And I, I, I still maintain that the kids today would do as well, if not better. And I'm betting that what we're going to see come out of that is uh, up the shit with the teleprompter. I'm glad to hear AEW is not going to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you still there? I, you slowed up for a second. You still talking? 
I'm done. I, I, I wrapped up. I thought I lost. You look frozen. For no, me, yeah, so. you look frozen too. So that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so you're, you're glad AEW is done with the teleprompter. And I, you know, I completely agree with you. And that's when we talked about all this stuff with John Moxley two weeks ago. John Moxley's putting that to bed, and that is like a huge thing that he called Good. everything out that you know you and Vince talks about all the time. Like just literally calling them all out on blast, being like, "This is this stuff is over." This this these yeah. days of writing verbatim line for line for line. You can have writers. Writers serve a huge, huge, huge thank God factor in the show, but suffering sure. succotash and pooper scooper and stuff like that. Like it, it just doesn't belong. But that yeah. moment, I mean, still look, it's not just because we're doing the show with you. I, I always love that moment. And every time you say they can all kiss my ass, man, when that belt starts descending to the floor <laughs> and I said it on Twitter and I'll say it again, it started the revolution. That's why the franchise is still here, folks. He's still here and he's still doing his thing. And that's why this topic today is uh, something I'm dying to hear you uh, get a couple of uh, current statuses in here because <laughs> you've encountered fans coming over the guardrail. You've uh, <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've gone to uh, legal proceedings over fans uh, coming yeah. over the guardrail. So it's this epidemic that they're kind of uh, the fans and the wrestlers are getting to know each other a little bit more. I think recently than anybody would kind of want them to. And uh, I sent you a kind of a short list of what's been going on lately. Seriously, what goes through a fan's head when they're coming over that guardrail and they see you there? Is it just still that old school, we got to test these guys, see what it's all about, or are they looking to get themselves over? Well, I I think it's a combination of things. No, I don't think anybody coming over that railing today, and and I may be wrong on this, but I I don't think anybody coming over that railing, like those video clips that you sent, uh, I think those fans believe they're part of the show. Like, yeah, I'm I'm playing my role here. I'm going to come over and, and, you know, get pulled to the back. And I, I think some fans think when they get back, they're going to get maybe a, you know, a free T-shirt and a, you know, beer and, and sent back out or something. Uh, back then, I, you know, I, you know, I haven't been on in the, in the, you know, the major leagues, you know, for, to, to have it happen. But back then when it happened, uh, there were times you were literally fighting for your life. You, know, you, you, a, you didn't know if that fan had a knife or a gun or you know some kind of sharp object or whatever. Um, you know, I grew up hearing stories in the business of the old old timers. Uh, you know, where the ringside rosies would, you know, pull their hat pins out and poke the wrestlers or burn them with their cigarettes. Uh, you know, things of that nature. And then later, Terry Funk told me the story of when I think it was in San Antonio. When he got stabbed, uh, was out fighting in the audience and got stabbed and didn't realize. And he said he took a couple more steps and thought he was pissing himself. <laughs> and he looked down and realized his guts, his intestines were hanging out. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, so, you know, when you hear stories like that and then in that ECW arena where, you know, you can imagine, look at from the stand standpoint, they've been sitting in this blistering hot building all night drinking. And now they got a guy that they think they like to take a shot at. You know, so I was never going to take a chance with it. There were multiple times that things that happened then, and thank God the world was a completely different place then. Uh, one time I remember I was wrestling Tom McDreamer, and uh, he went to throw me into the railing at ringside, and I reversed it, and he took a bump over the railing. And when I went to, I stepped on the bottom rung of the railing to reach over to grab him to pull him over. And when he did, my hand was, my thumb was broken, I think, at the time. And when I went to grab him, I saw somebody pick a chair up. And in my head, I'm thinking, they're not going to hit me with that chair. And I looked up and bam, blasted me right in the face with the chair. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, you know, you can imagine, you know, my, my temper. I, you know, I, I know this is hard to believe because everybody that knows me knows how much inordinate amount of patience that I have uh, and, and how, what a calm person I am. So I jumped over the railing and went after this guy. And Tommy did his level best to try to protect him. He was like climbing up on the guy to cover him so I couldn't hit him. And as I was looking for the open shot, I saw it was like in slow motion. I saw something in there. I looked and a bottle hit me in the mouth. Oh my God. And as soon as I looked like 300 hands, all went (laughs) and pointed the guy out from every which direction. And I went over and all you can see is me, you know, just popping the guy over top of the crowd. Now you do that today. It was stupid of me to do that. Then you do that today. You're guaranteed a lawsuit. Uh, But that's the, part you know with our industry you know it's we still have leftovers fans from then that are bringing some of that 
vernacular with them, uh, some of that paradigm and thinking like, hey, this is my rule to play the, you know, the, the guy that doesn't like to heal. Uh, the one I saw of the guy groping uh, the one female wrestler, I thought was totally uncool. Um, you know, I, I was always on the lookout for that kind of stuff happening with Francine. And we had a sort of unwritten rule that she stayed within a, a fair distance to me so that I could protect her if that would happen. But I, I don't know what, what's going on with these fans. You know, on, in one hand, we're in such a politically correct world where groping a woman in public, especially that isn't your woman, uh, you know, is not very acceptable today. Uh, but the idea of, you know, climbing over that railing to, to think you're going to become part of the show, understand for the fans out there, please understand that these men and women make their living there. And they're not going to take the chance. They don't know if your intentions are to just be part of the show or if your intentions are, I mean, you know, watch the news any night, uh, you know, you're packing a gun or a knife or something. Uh, and they're not going to take that chance. I wouldn't take that chance. And if you come at me, you might be the biggest franchise fan in the world. You come over that rail and come at me. I've got no choice but to protect myself. Um, you know, those railings are there for a reason. They're there to protect the fans from the action at ringside. They're also there to tell the fans, you stay over there and the action will stay over here. Uh, I don't know. I, I was shocked at some of those things that I saw in those videos that you had sent. Because, again, the world has changed so much. Uh, and I feel bad for the, for the men and women that are doing it today, because if you would take that action, you know, if Chad climbs over the rail to come get the franchise, a high five and I knock your teeth out, uh, it's a pretty good likelihood I'm going to get sued. And even if you win in the, in the law, in the lawsuit, you're going to spend a lot of money, which, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Cause the, the, the last link you sent me was the, the case from Downingtown, uh, so, you know, it's uh, it was bad enough then. And like I said, a completely different world 25 years ago uh, to where it is today. So I don't know. I, I think, A, the security has got to be on, on their tiptoes today, A, to protect the, the wrestlers, protect the fans, and to protect the company. Um, you know, it, it, you have a company like AEW, some of the deep pockets. I, I got to believe there's going to be some fans thinking, hey, if I – jump this railing and get my teeth knocked out, I might be able to get a few bucks from old Mr. Khan. Uh, you know, so we need to really make sure that the security's doing their job. And any fan that does come over that railing has got to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, not just to protect the wrestlers, but to protect the company and most importantly, the other fans. Uh, you know, again, if, if one of those people coming over that railing has a weapon of some kind, it's not hard to imagine you know, somebody else getting hurt, you know, if, if they swing a knife, for instance, and, you know, in those videos you sent, those people were pretty close to the, to the audience, swing a knife and miss and catch somebody in the audience, or God forbid, have a, a firearm of some sort, uh, you know, just pay your money, have your fun, scream and shout, whatever you want. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the one video that you, you sent of, you know, somebody spitting, on somebody that, you know, <laughs> the fans need to understand that's considered an assault. Uh, I don't know if you spit on me. I don't know if you have AIDS or hepatitis or something else. Uh, it's, a, it's a form of assault. Um, just go have your fun. You know, let, let out all your angers and pent up fuel, whatever. You know, scream whatever words you wanted at somebody don't grope the women. Don't grab the women. Don't try to fight any of the guys. Don't jump over thinking you're being part of the show because it's probably not going to turn out good for you. No, no way. And to the fact that I had to put five different examples into yeah. that email was scary enough because if you really think about it, that's just five isolated incidents in the last couple of months. It really all started back with the Bret Hart weird Hall of Fame attack yeah. where the psychopath came all the way from the cheap seats down to uh, – to, yeah. to the main stage for whatever reason the WWE had an open guardrail for their Hall of Fame ceremony. Yeah. But that was kind of like the catalyst for this little trend that's gone on. I mean, we've had to have five. One of them, it's a little tricky because one of them, the, the Bully Ray incident, which I kind of want to get your take on, that, that's not necessarily a fan attack versus more being 
you know, the verbal clashing. Uh, maybe the fan went too far. That could be something which, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, the quote, freedom of speech and trying to be part of the show. We, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. But for there to be four other instances and two of them to be including uh, the female performers, it's kind of tricky to say. Like you, you can't do that. And for you to have to basically protect a female every single night of the week, you don't know what the hell is coming out of those stands. Whether it is, like you said, the spit or it's a knife or yeah. a pencil, for God's sake. It could be anything. Um when it comes to the female performers, you would think that the the smarts would be there a little bit uh, more readily than, you know, say a guy who had a couple too many beers and wants to try himself, you know, stupidly getting in a sure. ring. Yeah. It's again, just, you know, when, when I watch the news today on almost a daily basis, I think I'm in like some sort of an alternate reality because, you know, you're hearing and seeing stuff that just seems so oddball off the wall. But I don't think it takes a brain surgeon to figure out that you don't touch a woman, uh, period, that isn't yours. Uh, you know, and even then, I'm sure if, I'm sure if you would grab your wife uh, when, you know, she's, you know, not wanting you to, that you wouldn't get a very good reception there either. But certainly... If you walk down the street and grab some woman, you're you're going to have some serious trouble. Um, I, I I just you know we we want our fans to be involved. You know that that's the first thing. You we all work to get that that engagement with the audience and that interaction with the audience. But you know there is a thing called common sense, and you know as everybody knows, I'm a big Kiss fan. Uh, I, I would dare say that Gene and Paul and Tommy and Eric probably wouldn't be very cool if during the middle of rock and roll night, I'd climb over the railing and jump on the stage and start trying to grab them or roll them up from behind like the idiot did with Brett or whatever. Uh, and I'm sure their security would probably be on me pretty quickly, like stink on shit, <laughs> as they should be. But, I, you know, it, it's, you know, can, I mean, I, I, the one thing I can't for the second, for a split second believe is that somebody thinks that hey, it says wrestling. So it's okay. If I grope this smoking hot woman uh, and it's just going to be considered part of the show, you know, so I think you're seeing a dumbing down to some degree. And I don't know if it's just a, that there's some, you know, you still have a considerable number of people in the audience that come from that older day and that older paradigm, uh, you know, but like the one where you had, I, I think it was from triple a, uh, with uh, the, the the female wrestler being, you know, groped by the by a fan. Yeah, that was Scarlett Bordreau, or Bordeaux, yes. however you say it. Well, there, there's two points on this. If, if that was just a fan acting out of line, dumbass, and uh, you know, if that were my girlfriend or my wife out there, I'd be out there crushing that guy. Uh, secondly, if it was a setup spot with that wrestler, that talent, and, and a fan, even dumber. Because now what you've just done is you've taught the other guys to do it. And I'm not suggesting that was the case. But, you, you, know, you, you, you know, we have this gray area between where some fan, some of the boys, and again, when I say boys, I mean everybody in the dressing room, uh, will do that kind of thing and set up something with a fan, a plant, whatever. You know, both sides have to really think long and hard about what they're doing because, simply put, I most of what I did as the franchise 25 years ago, I doubt I could get away with today. Um, not, not without some serious problems. Uh, you know, a lot of what Bubba did, you know, I think would cause some serious problems today. Uh, a lot of what most of the guys back then did would cause serious problems. So, you know, again, it's a fine line. And I, the sad part about it is the vast, vast majority of the fans that go to, uh, to shows and the interactions they have, you, you get a couple that get out of line and push it a little bit too far. But, you know, when you stop and think about it, the 99.9% that are there are adhering to the rules. Uh, they're yelling at the guys they want to yell at. They're cheering for the guys they want to cheer for. Uh, they're not groping the women. They're not trying to fight the guys. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly something that I think the industry has to step its game up on. Because if not, sooner or later, something bad is going to happen. 
And, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're not, almost daily now, it seems we're picking up, you know, a newspaper, turning on the television or the computer and seeing some story of somebody, you know, some school shooting or something else. And I would dare say if it can happen there, it's most likely going to happen inside an arena sooner or later. Yeah. And in the one instance, Jacob Fatu, who's a part of the Samoan family, I mean, that was just stupid mistake. Number one, you're going to hop a guardrail yeah. around <laughs> one of the Samoans. I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah. And and if you're going to try, you better be a lot quicker than that guy was. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, Jacob Fudd, too, he, does, he doesn't, like anybody in that family, doesn't look like he does not know how to take care of himself. You know, so, you know, if you're going to be that stupid to do that, you know, hey, whatever you're drinking, you probably should take a few less of. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, and the other part of it was when he got over that railing, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, Agile didn't seem like the, he was the most cat-like uh, person uh, you know, in the universe. And, you know, and he paid dearly for it. And the part I love when he tries to get back up and you know, thinks twice of it. And, you know, uh, but, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to. It's funny to watch, but you don't ever want to see that happen, you know, because, uh, you know, you know, just play this out. What if that guy would have hit his head on one of those light stanchions or rails behind him or the, the legs for the stanchion and, you know, ended up cracking his skull or something, you know, yeah, he'd have, you know, the legalities of it would be one thing, but, but on top of that, then, you know, what about, you know, the, the health part of it, you know? So again, people think twice before, you know, what you're going to do, have all the fun scream, whatever you want. But before you think of jumping that railing, because again, and in Fatu's case, he had no idea that guy was coming over there with a knife, a gun, or something else. And he can't sit there and wait for that guy to show him if he's got something. You gotta shit when you gotta get. And and that's exactly what he did. That's what any of the guys are gonna do to protect themselves and anybody else who's at ringside with them. Uh but again, I think the industry as a whole needs to step up its game. The, the one thing, and this will sound like a bit of a plug, and it's not, uh Atlas Security used to do a phenomenal job for us in ECW. Uh, with as much as we would push the envelope in ECW, uh, I never felt in danger because that were not just that within a couple big 350-pound guys to protect the fans and, and everybody at ringside. So, you know, maybe the industry needs to take some some heads up from Atlas Security, but you know, if not, sooner or later, something bad is going to happen with this. And it's I, I hope to God that, in, you know, 50 episodes from now, we're not talking about some fan that got seriously injured because it's being so stupid or some wrestler that's that's uh, been harmed or or, uh, you know, facing some multimillion dollar lawsuit because of this. You know, the company has a responsibility to keep the performer safe. And the fans safe. And that's a hard thing to do when you have a lot of rowdy people in the building. Yeah, and AEW actually is using Atlas Security. So that's kind of like a really nice. smart move by them. Yeah, because, I mean, when sure. you have literally uh, mountains of men, you know, that are just yeah. as big or bigger than, well, now they're, forget about it. Now now they are bigger than the wrestlers. So, I mean, yeah. it, that makes it kind of like uh, the added stupidity if you're going to try to test anybody from Atlas. But um, if you break down, you know, the other instances, so it was Fatu leveled the hell out of the guy. Uh, Taya Valkyrie had the the one who spit on her. And then Scarlett Bordeaux had the one that groped her, and that was in Mexico. So now you're in a foreign country as well having to deal with uh, this instance. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's commonplace, but you don't know if if things are different there. I don't know. I've never wrestled in Mexico. I can't tell you that. But each individual incident was different. So that's why it kind of brings me to the Bully Ray thing, because that one's a little weird. Because, again, it's it's a fan who was kind of being a fan. He was maybe a little, you know, maybe he had a couple in him. Maybe he had a little courage. And he was saying inappropriate things to the performers. And, okay, it, it kind of goes with the territory, but maybe he crossed the line. We weren't there. But that whole scenario of them bringing him to the back and Bully kind of sitting down with him, if you were backstage, would you kind of – 
tend to say to Bully maybe not to do that just because this guy can make up 900 different stories saying Bully roughed them up, beat the shit out of them, taunted him, you know? What would sure. you tell Bully in that instance? Well, I, I would tell him exactly what I would do, and that would be I'd let security handle it. Um, you know, now that's the that's the Shane Douglas sitting here today. You know, I was a bit of a hothead back in the day. No, no, yeah, no way. Yeah, no, no, no. Can't believe I know, this. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, but, you know, what, what the fan needs to understand is, and you're exactly right, and we'll get back, to, uh, I'll circle back to that in a second. Uh, you know, Bubba's one of those guys, Bully, you know, uh, Mark is one of those guys that gets very close and becomes very close friends with the people he's friends with. And if that performer, I'm guessing, was probably one of those people, uh, Mark, like any good friend would do, uh, was, you know, probably going to make sure he said his piece and straighten it out. Well, it was Again, Velvet I, Sky. I sorry to interrupt. It was Velvet Sky. So obviously, he's dating Velvet Sky. Well, there you go. So you know, you know, I'm sure that probably played into it as well. You know, but I think point taken that you know, I, I didn't see. I just saw in the the clip it talked about the, the accusations this guy was making. I didn't see any of those. I didn't dig into. I was like I said, working on something else this week. But you know, suffice it to say, it'd be very easy for that fan to come out there and say he hit him. He threatened him. He, you know, said something he shouldn't have said to him. He said he was going to kill him, whatever. And I'm not saying that Bubba didn't go see I'm just saying that the, the, the fan can make, like you said, one of 900 accusations. And in today's world, it seems like that's pretty much all it takes to, to instigate a lawsuit. Um, and I don't want to see Bubba or anybody else go through that. You know, it's again with all these incidences, and I, you know, again, I, since I don't watch as much as I used to, and I, I certainly don't go get online and follow all this stuff as closely as you and JP do. Uh, but when I started seeing all those instances that were, you know, all fairly recent, um, it tells me that you know we've got a, we as an industry have got to do a much better job to make sure those fans realize that if they come over that railing, that they're going to be prosecuted, not just thrown out of the building. Uh, and that was what was ha- what happened in the incident in Downingtown. That girl that had attacked us and hit Francine uh, and then later turned around, she was thrown out of the building instead of being arrested, which would have immediately put her on the defensive, uh, but allowed her to then go out and create whatever narrative she wanted to create. And that's exactly what she did. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I hope that the industry hadn't forgotten the lessons from those type of instances from the past. But again, to make sure that in this crazy, crazy, crazy world, this insane world today, that, you know, a fan that was drunk and rowdy in the ECW arena 25 years ago, uh, I didn't take as that seriously serious of a threat uh, to for actual physical harm. Not that I didn't think it could happen, but I didn't think that there were, would anybody push it that far. But again, every time I pick up the newspaper, turn on the computer, I read a crazy story about, you know, actresses being shot or, uh, you know, followed or, uh, you know, uh, stalked, I guess you'd call it, um, you know, and, and it's just a crazy different world today. Yeah. And again, you know, with ECW, I mean, you guys, you, there's how many stories are out there of you mess with one of us, you get the whole, the whole lot of us. You know, yes. and when you got, you know, New Jack coming out and you got, <laughs> you know, Sabu jumping off of God knows what to, to have your back. I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting. And I'm just, you know, for Bully's sake, it's very he's very lucky that this hasn't escalated as far as he has. And, you know, he hasn't yeah. lost his position with Ring of Honor, which, you know, obviously is good. And he also good. works for Sirius XM. So, I mean, none of that was impacted. So I guess in retrospect, it, he did the right thing, I guess, from his perspective. He got his point across. Um you know, I'm just glad nobody was affected uh, long term by it. But, you know, we're talking about the incident with you in Downingtown. And, you know, at that point, again, you know, you're the top bad guy in the company. So yeah. it's like what's coming with the territory of being the top bad guy. And with this story, per se, you know, you're kind of given a few little bits and pieces of it without going into the whole entire thing and. You know, obviously, we don't want to put over the uh, the, the nut job. <laughs> that was me saying it's not it's not Shane. It was me saying that. But this girl who was involved with this thing, how do you approach the actual legality part of it? And in terms of how it plays into your character of the franchise at that point, you know, not exposing as much as we do now. 
you know, how did you kind of walk that fine line of the business and what happened in the incident? Well, first of all, the first pay rung of this, you know, ladder for me was uh, my job is to piss the audience off. So I'm not going to piss you off. And then when you get pissed off and they beat you up for it. Um, but as we were walking back in Downingtown, uh, the build, the room there was a very small room in the farmer's market. There it was a like an exposition hall, but it was a very small room. And as ECW got more uh, uh, well-known with the fans, that building started filling up pretty quickly. As a result, they had to take the aisle, which is typically you know 8 or 10 feet wide, to 6 feet. And then by that time, I think it was about four feet wide. So you, you could literally touch both railings on the entrance. In those types of buildings, in every building, uh, Francine and I had a system, uh, and Atlas Security had a system. The, the Atlas Security system was they had a phalanx around us. They, there was uh, two guys to my front, right, and left, and two guys to my rear, right, and left. And Francine would walk behind me with her hand in the back of my tights, and I, I always said, if any trouble breaks out, just hang on because I'll I'll full back us to the dressing room. Well, Atlas's role, uh, and and I think their policy was that if something would happen, they were to bear hug us from behind, so pinning our arms down to our side, so that we couldn't even, if we wanted to, inadvertently hit somebody. And as we were walking back, you know, keeping our head, I was keeping our heads down, but looking over my eyebrows to see what was coming. And I could see this girl, pretty, pretty good size girl, we'll say, uh, standing on her seat and leaning on the railing into the rail. And she had her fist pumped, you know, so I knew what she was going to do. And as we got closer, I sort of walked, you know, as far as I could to the left to not run into those people. And right as I walked past, she spat in my face. And when I, when she spat in my face, I turned to look at her. She swung at me. And I instinctively just pulled my head back out of the way, and she missed me and clocked Francine. Oof. Well, when as soon as that happened, uh, Big Joe, who was about six foot seven, bear hugged me from behind. At which point, some guy that was with her picked a chair up and smacked me in the face. And Franny's now being held. And Paul Heyman came out. I remember him and Taz and a bunch of other people and pulled me by the hair back into the dressing room. And and, and I won't lie to you, had I been able to get loose from them, I'd have killed her. Uh, or whoever it was that swung the chair at me. But by that time, it had de-escalated. We were back in the dressing room and safe. Uh, on the way back to the hotel that night, I get a phone call from our uh, our head uh, ticket usher, and she said that the Pennsylvania State Police wanted to talk to me the next day. I had nothing to hide, so me and Francine and our head of security went down the next morning and met with this guy. Told, you know, we he interviewed each of us separately, and Within a matter of a week or so, I get served these papers for aggravated assault, which had a like a twelve year prison sentence to it. And you know, I can laugh about it now. At the time, I was really pissed off because hey, nobody had touched that girl. Uh, secondly, they had attacked us, and again, where where security made Mark Shapiro that night threw her out instead of having her arrested, and and typically that would probably have solved the problem. Uh, but as we saw with this case, it didn't. And the odd thing was by the time I, I went and hired an attorney and the attorney hired a, I can't remember the guy's name. Jeff Abramson was the attorney. Uh, but he hired a former secret service agent that had walked with five presidents. And this guy was an expert at, uh, lie detector tests. So he administered a lie detector test and afterwards said that he had never seen anybody pass one so convincingly. And that was because I was telling the truth. But what really stood out to us was initially we thought we had a problem because they had 12, I think it was 12 witnesses that said they saw me hit this girl. Well, I knew that wasn't even possible because I, I didn't even like swing in her direction. I had my hands were pinned to my side and you know, that, that like I could tell both my attorney and this guy were like half not believing me because how can there be 12 witnesses saying this and you're saying it didn't happen until he went and started interviewing those witnesses and I wish I had the state cop's name because I'd used it on the air right now. Uh, in fact, I'll try to find it and I'll post it up on the Twitter site just to make sure that he gets the, you know, the, the nice uh, feedback that he should get. <laughs> he had changed those 12 witness statements. Those 12 witnesses all told our investigator that they told the police that I did not hit that girl. 
And that police officer changed all those statements to read that I did hit that girl. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. And I, when I wanted to go back after the state police afterwards, my attorney was adamant that that would not be a good idea. Um, and would not do that. Didn't want any part of that case, which sort of shows you the problem with how the system is set up. Um, so for all the young talent out there, take that as the lesson that, you know, if the police want to come and do something, thank God I had the resources at the time that I could hire that guy because he wasn't cheap and that he had the time and, and, the, and the desire to go out and recheck those witness statements. Because who in their right mind is ever going to believe that a state cop is going to change 12 witness statements? And yet that's exactly what happened. You know, so uh, thankfully, I, you know, I was obviously bound over for trial. And when we went to the hearing afterwards, I remember the magistrate in Downingtown admonishing the girl uh, and telling her that she had better never see her in that courtroom again. Uh, she apologized to me, the, the magistrate did. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a scary time, you know, because, again, you know, the world ain't nearly as crazy as then as it, as it is now. But still, when you're being held up for a, a potential 12-year prison sentence, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of take notice of that. And, uh, you know, afterwards, we, you know, we overhauled the, the policies then. You know, for me, it was if anybody got within five feet of me, Atlas was to take them down and not let them anywhere near me. But, you know, it, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it, again, it, it's a completely different world today. And my guess would be that if that same thing would happen today, I'm not so certain that I'd get so lucky as to find the, the uh, uh, investigator that I had that was able to uncover that. And uh, shocking to me that, a Pennsylvania state police sergeant at the time. I don't know what he is now. Like I said, I'm going to find his name to make sure that the fans out there can give him the thumbs up that he so well deserves. <laughs> you know what I mean? The thumbs up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Piece of shit. That I'm worthy of wearing the badge. Yeah. That's terrible. But I'll tell you what, if it was today, the only thing you'd have going for you is that you'd have two dozen people with their phones right in your yeah. face. So the proof would be in the pudding because people would have that, recorded right in front of you and you'd be able to be like well there's those witness statements that you can go wipe your ass with here's all of the uh the video footage that's been tweeted or texted or whatever you can do with it these days and that's the only benefit that we kind of get to see because look you know if we didn't see the video footage of what happened to these folks i mean look we don't know that somebody gets spit on or somebody got groped it's all hearsay but there's video of it correct you know and in in that case back in you know the mid 90s you know, you guys, if you were recording the show, great. You have your proof. If, the, you know, if uh, Rob Feinstein was there with his fan cam, you might have an angle of it from somewhere. But how right. does Paul E. kind of treat this situation? Does Paul E. kind of, uh, does he kind of walk you through all this other stuff, you know, afterwards with it? Does he kind of, no. like, have your back, or does he just wash his hands of it? No, he, he pretty much washed his hands of it. You know, for, you know, look at it from his point of view. He has, you know, like in my case, he's got a heel that's got a ton of heat. <clears throat> which traditionally in the business draws money, you know? So the last thing you want to do is go out there and put a damper on that and say, hey, tone it down, you know, don't get the fans so worked up, uh, you know, because what's too much, what's too little, um, you know? So I understand from that point of view, but there was another case in, in Allentown that happened and where a fan attacked me. And that night, later in the evening, Rob Van Dam had gotten attacked. And so Paul had erased all the tapes. So there was oh, wow. no okay. evidence of anything, Wow, you know? So in that case where the video footage would have benefited me, uh, I got screwed because it had to protect somebody else. But, uh, you know, it's, you're right though. Like today, that's, that's one good thing. And I'm guessing that a lot of that footage we saw came from fan cams or something that were around those different buildings. Yeah, I think they, they did. I think that there was some that really came from that, you know, instant ringside fan who's got his phone out, which I'm not sure if you're supposed to be recording these things, uh, yeah. especially if they're broadcast for television. And at some of the outlaw shows, that might be a different story. Uh, but no, it's just it's amazing how the time kind of shifts. And, you know, if that was today, you'd be in a completely different spot, not yeah. having to worry about that 12 year prison sentence, which. Do you think they could put the? Uh, you think they could put the zebra stripes in uh, your your franchise colors? You know your franchise they, colors there. To. 
have to because I would flat out refuse to wear black and white pinstripes. I mean, you know, whoever, black and white ain't cool, but like gold and black, everybody knows is cool as hell. An orange jumpsuit you may be confused with a uh, a member of Team Taz. You don't want that. We don't want that to happen. Yeah. Or or a certain uh, wrestler that had a one on one conversation with vince uh one kevin kelly nails (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, we talked about that on a show about a year ago we talked about the uh the nails incident with uh with vince and that uh, vince whatever vince sees the color orange outside of taz i don't think anybody's ever had that maybe that's why you had the blue because he's so he kind of shies away from the orange (laughs) yeah it's i don't think orange is Probably why Taz didn't get a big push up there now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, he signed Taz. <laughs> this is what happened. He signed Taz. He had like black on. And then when he got there and Taz had the orange, he was like, Well, I was going to push this guy to the moon. Yeah. And we're going to pull the reins back a little bit. Because, hey, one thing you give Taz, Taz has one of the best debuts in the history of the WWE. Oh, that place that Matt, and I know yeah, JP, for- JP was there. I mean, and like uh, the roof exploded off of Madison Square Garden, that first beat of the uh, the Taz theme. So uh, it's a shame. Yeah, is that the night he wrestled uh, Kurt Angle? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Had, had an incredible match with Kurt. And I remember talking to Taz afterwards about that and, uh, you know, why he was suddenly moved to announce and everything, which, you know, obviously worked out for the longer part of his career. But uh, he said that, uh, and I think I've seen interviews with, with uh, Vince saying as much where he said he, he just didn't buy Taz. And I thought, you know, I, I don't recall one time any fan in ECW saying, I can't believe you're backpedaling from, from a guy that size. I can't. When the, the triple threat would back down. When you go, bam, bam, Bigelow, the beast from the East standing right next to him, the three of us would back down. Excuse me, not one time did a fan ever say, come on, guys, look how big he is. You know, Taz was an unbelievably believable character and, and played that character so well. As a heel, it was so easy to play off of. Uh, but that, you know, that again, there's that genius at work. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy because, you know, when you watch ECW back in that 95, 96, 97 time when, you know, you guys, it was so cool, especially like when you and Taz ended up having your program down the road, how really everybody was kept separated. And you thought that like, Taz was okay. Well, Taz really could destroy everybody on the roster, so you don't want to get him in the ring with the franchise. But you know what? The franchise is the dirtiest guy we have here, so maybe sure. I do want to see that. But you know, maybe I want to see. You know, you notice how like you, it was always kept so perfectly separated from everybody. You weren't wrestling Sabu in the mid, you know, in the ninety five, ninety six era. You were tied to Dreamer, and Dreamer was tied to Raven, and Taz was tied to Sabu. I just loved how everybody was kept so separate. And Vince, he could have done that with Taz, but, man, he jobbed them out after, like, six months. Sure. And and then, you know, this other part of it is, like, before WrestleMania, you know, I I remember seeing the picture of, you know, Charlotte and the other two that were, you know, the day before, you know, nicely dressed and sitting there hugs and smiles and kisses, and, you know, here we are the day before WrestleMania. Why? Absolutely why? Um, you know, I don't think that does anything to improve the fans experience. If anything, it detracts from it. Uh, you know, let the heels be the heels, let the baby faces get the adulation. Uh, but there's no reason in the world that there should be a picture of me and Taz the day before our big battle, you know, dressed in suits and arms around each other and smiling. Uh, it's befuddling to me. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, like the kayfabe being one thing and that being somewhat dead in a certain realm. I just don't get why, especially on social media. Look, everybody can have their own individual account. Go put it under your real name. But if you've got a, an account that's tied to your your company or whatever, you, you should not be thanking the guy who you just had a match with. He just killed in the middle of the ring. You shouldn't be thanking him. You shouldn't be posting right. the pictures. You shouldn't be sharing your. Hey, oh, the, the best was a few years ago in the middle of uh, Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman were having this, you know, blood feud and Strowman's getting, uh, throwing Reigns in dumpsters and ambulances and turning stuff over. (laughs) And then like three days later, it was like a group of guys and they were standing in front of like, uh, like the Coliseum. And it's like, okay, guys, if you were going to the Coliseum, like just share it in between, have a group text. Why don't you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's it's just, uh, you know, we work so hard to build personas and angles and storylines. And then we go out and I, I, you know, I, I know the the 
the comeback. Is well, it's a TV show today. The, you know, we don't kayfabe anymore. And to me, you know, I don't think the fans really believed so much back then that Taz and I despised each other. We're really going to try to kill each other or anything. But, you know, like I said before, when you go to see the movie Halloween, and I always use Halloween because that was such a ingrained in my head when I was a young kid the first time I went to see that in the theater. And like I've often used the example, if, you know, they're the, the sitting in the theater with your big bucket of popcorn and your Coca-Cola and the lights go down and John Carpenter, the writer and director, comes up on the screen and says, hey, everybody, my name's John Carpenter. I've written and directed this movie, Halloween. I want to thank you for coming. I want you to know that nobody is being harmed in this movie. All the blood you see is just Cairo syrup with food coloring in it. It's stage blood. Enjoy the movie. Uh, <laughs> the rest of the time, you'd be laughing at all the stuff instead of cringing and, you know, on the edge of your seat. There's no reason to blow the kayfabe. You know, you spend all that time creating Halloween, the movie, the characters and the, the eeriness and the music and all of that that goes with it. And then you just flush it down the drain or would have with that kind of an intro from John Carpenter. So in our business, it's a performance art. Why do we go out there and work so hard to set all these parameters and get all these things set up just right? And then right before and say, here's me and Taz the day before the big battle <laughs> having, having a beer together. It's just stupid as fuck. So bad. So, so bad. But hey, look, you know, different time back in uh, the fact that you said Taz came out and pulled you by the hair you know, got you out of uh, Dodge in the uh, the incident. Hey, that was enough right there that he yeah. came out to save you. And that was probably the most. And I bet you, if we were to see that footage, that would be tape-traded footage all over the thing. This, <laughs> yeah. this is the time that Taz came out and pulled Shane Douglas to the back. And it just, it meant so so much different back then. It's, oh, man, I really, as an old school fan, I, I wish we still had a part of that. And that's why we hold on to your guys, your generation well, so tightly. Well, Thank you. And uh, let's hope that what AEW has promised us, they, they hold up to, you know, when they're talking about giving us the wrestling that we watched 20 years ago and, you know, the, uh, uh, the no teleprompters and stuff, because I think that with that, the roster that they have, they have a real opportunity to make some real magic there. And especially, you know, as we see, we've talked about the WWE's rating slide and the rest of it. Uh, the, the, the parameters have, really lined up perfectly for a competitor right now. So if they go out there and they do those things, uh, I have no doubt that John Moxley can create magic on the camera. Uh, as long as he's not talking about pooper scoopers, uh, <laughs> you know, give him the opportunity to be, to say what he wants. And you know, what, along the line, he'll say something that's dumb. I, I certainly did plenty of times. Uh, he'll say something, you know, things that, you know, afterwards you might say, don't ever use that one again. Cause that's happened to me plenty of times. But after he, he's gone through that process and he's made those mistakes and he learns from those mistakes, my guess is on the other side, sans a teleprompter, you're going to see guys like Moxley and the rest of the crew there create some incredible magic. And I, for one, as the mark in me is dying to see it. Let's see. A couple months down the road, we're almost there. We'll see uh, what they can do when they get to television. But we'll kind of wrap it up there for the week, Shane. That was a great topic because I know it's something that uh, you have a lot of experience with, and that's <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> that's fighting the marks. That's when the marks want to think they're part of the show. We'll yeah. kick, we'll kick their ass. But yeah, no, that was a great, uh, great topic, and glad we could dig into that uh, this coming week. But hey, before we do, I'm just going to reach over here. Not only am I wearing this shirt in black, but how about this guy, huh? Right here. Ah, there he see? is. Gold there, and the, black and black and gold. There it is. I'll try to get in with it at the same time. <laughs> you save that for your uh, your scrapbook. But, yeah, look, if you want to get a part of this triple threat, you want to be a part of the team, go to, to ProWrestlingTees.com slash the franchise SD and get your hands on a triple threat podcast, a franchise Shane Douglas classic logo T-shirt uh, every little bit supports the show. It supports the franchise. It supports everybody, what we're doing here. And uh, we appreciate anything that you could do because, uh, you know what, you might be the coolest guy on the beach if you're wearing the gold franchise Shane Douglas uh, T-shirt. And, Shane, I got to tell you, I was looking through my phone here trying to find the tweet. There was a guy who was actually looking for an image of your tattoo wanting to duplicate your triple threat tattoo that you have with uh, with all your triple threat brethren. And, uh, you know, I know there's a T-shirt out there, but I don't think it's seen the light of day 
in uh, in quite a while. So uh, you know that's uh, that's one thing you got to get your hands on these t-shirts now, especially the uh, the classic one. Because Shane, I mean, when you got a big F on your chest, you really could do whatever you want when you walk down that street. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, back to the tattoo for a second. The I do know that the uh, figures toy company figure that's out now. Uh, it has, I sent the artwork to them. So the tattoo on that, uh, action figure is an absolutely spot on correct, uh, remake of the tattoo. So if you can't find it, let me know. We'll get a picture of it to you. Awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. And Hey, I pitched it to my wife. I said, you know, we got this thing going with the show. We got the three of us. There's this tattoo floating around. You got to get it. (laughs) It's still uh, it's still up for debate, but I know uh, JP and I, you know, we've uh, we've bandied back and forth about it many times that uh, we want to be a part of the team permanently, and uh, maybe that's exactly uh, what needs to happen sooner or later. That would make for an interesting episode of the uh, the podcast. We'll let JP go first, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll let him try the uh, try the needle first. <laughs> exactly, and we miss him, and he'll be back next week. And what his role is going to be on the video show is to tell you what's going on on the two-man power trip. So I'm just going to go ahead and do that. We just had our 400th episode last week with Arn Anderson. Very cool. And this past week or this past episode that just published this week, we had on for our Dusty Rhodes tribute show, Dustin Rhodes. And it was nice. a highly, highly emotional interview. Okay. Uh, how can you deny – Dustin sitting here talking about Dusty, his father, and the detail that he did. Um, you're not going to find it anywhere else, especially this week. Um, and also covering what he did in AEW with Cody. And I don't know if you followed it much, Shane, but Cody uh, dialed back to a promo that Dusty did with Dustin back in th- your time in WCW uh, called The View Never Changes. And uh, Dustin talks in depth about that promo and what it meant from both sides, from Cody doing it and also from uh, Dusty doing it. So it's a great episode. And really, uh, how can you go any bigger than that for a Dusty Rose tribute show? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I just, you know, I've, I've often wondered when you look at like those second generation guys, you know, I remember when I was breaking in David San Martino and then later uh, meeting and working with David Flair, who was just a really, really nice kid. Uh, and, you know, guys like Dustin and, and, and Cody, you know, living in the shadow of, you know, these huge, larger-than-life, iconic, historic, legendary names in our business, right? Uh, I mean, it was a hard enough industry to break in to, period, let alone with that happening to come out from under that, that kind of a shadow. But also to have uh, grown up knowing that guy and being able to talk to that guy and hear that guy and watch his thinking process. You know, in our business, you know, Dominic taught us way back in the day, keep your mouth shut and eyes and ears open. Well, you know, for Cody and, and Dustin, that was a, a front row seat on a night to night basis. Um, but, you know, it's it's tough to lose your parents as they as they found out, uh, unfortunately. But to have that legacy, to, to especially in this business, to, to feed off of, play off of, because what wrestling fan doesn't know Dusty Rhodes? There's not a single one on the planet. And that they have that to play into in those old promos and, you know, just the, the, the whole history. Uh, you know, Dusty was a walking almanac of this business and he's forgotten more about character development and storyline than 99.9999999% of the people that have ever worked in it. So, you know, for them, that's a, I'm sure it's a hell of a resource. I'm going to be a hell of a resource for AEW to, uh, to invoke. Yeah, highly emotional episode. Please check it out wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, and we got to tell everybody to go to the Podomatic app where you can get all the episodes of the two-man power trip. Uh, Next week, we've got another big episode coming. I don't know. I got to talk to JP if we're going to reveal them every week ahead of time. So I'm going to just keep it in the bag. Just stay tuned (laughs) on Tuesday when we publish it, and you'll see a huge current WWE superstar uh, nice. joining us this current week uh, somebody you know well shane so you'll uh you'll be interested looking forward to it yeah absolutely so we're gonna wrap it up here nice before we lose the, the franchise we get disconnected knock on wood we've done very good <laughs> yeah. uh for this episode uh so shane before we wrap it up just tell uh, everybody where you're gonna be out there in uh, the wrestling world this coming weekend uh this saturday i'm gonna be back down in new orleans and uh gonna uh, give my uh my good friend luke hawks a uh Another round with the franchise and a 
few tricks up my sleeve. Looking forward to getting back down there. It's been quite a while since so I've had a good bowl of gumbo. I've been able to play some tricks on my friend, Luke Hawks, again. So I'm going to be down there on Saturday. And then Sunday, going to be taking an early morning flight and getting up to Toronto. Uh, have a, a private shining there and then a, a match as well. And I'll have all that information posted up on my Twitter tomorrow. The New Orleans shot is already posted on Twitter. I'll repost again tomorrow. And then the sun, Sunday shot in Toronto, I'll have that information posted as tomorrow as well. Yeah, I saw the private signing ad the other day on uh, on Facebook. So curious to see how those guys are. So we'll have to talk off air about uh, <laughs> how yeah. that one goes. I love that. So if you don't know and you'll hear us talk about it here on the brand, you'll hear us talk about all the conventions and the signings, very tied into the autograph and memorabilia world. So whenever I see a company like that pop up, I'm always intrigued. It always kind of uh, you know raises the old eyebrow. Under the hat, it raises the eyebrow like the rock would, uh, <laughs> like the rock would do. But Shane, hey, another great one here. We'll head out to uh, episode 98 next week. We have a theme in mind for episode 99. So we'll talk about that and kind of tease that for uh, the next episode. But hey, take us out in only the way the franchise can and get us out of here of 97 and get us to 98. Episode 97 under the belt, only number two on video. And you can get it here now. Vince Russo is the brand and at the realm. Don't miss it now. Make sure you tune in next week for number 98 as we barrel down to 100. Do that or get your ass franchised. <laughs> the preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.